Thank you for loving me. We'll be probably saying that for a long, long time. Well, before pastor comes up to preach, would you uh, open your Bibles with me? And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19. We're going to be reading through chapter 10, verse 13. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord.
you've just heard the only infallible part of the sermon. Duh. You heard the word of God, didn't you? Now I'm going to make fallible comments on it. And I want to talk today about five necessary attitudes you need to successfully run the Christian race. Paul is talking to believers in chapter 8 through chapter 11. One. He's talking about believers who've been set free from paganism. They've been set free from the temple marketplace. They've been set free from sacrifices to demons. They've been set free from all that characterize the pagan world, immorality, all of that. But he's going to talk to them <clears throat> about what it takes to run the Christian race. And in verses 24 to 27, he uses a metaphor taken from the athletic arena, how to win in a race, how to run it. And we see attitudes there. He goes on in chapter 10 to pick up sacred history, the history of Israel, and to tell how they miserably failed on a freedom march. It wasn't Pharaoh that brought them down. It was sin that brought them down. And he describes that, and he tells it to us. It's a warning. It's an example to us that we might run this race as we ought to run. Now, let's just pick up at 24 and begin to look at these different attitudes we need to have in running this race. Look what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. The idea there is to win, there must be the attitude of determination. The attitude of determination. Um, Carolyn and I learned early in this church and in any kind of couple sports, I always ask her to be on the other team. Why? One reason, she plays for fellowship. I play to win. Uh, volleyball, we, when we used to go to Alliance, it would be this. I said, spike it, take out their dental work, get, just score a point. And she said, aren't we having fun? We're having fun only if we're winning. Is there anybody that identifies with what I'm saying? Randy, you need to raise your hand. You're terrible. You've got to win. Uh, and this is what Paul is saying. You've got to have a mind that's determined to win. Uh, my father used to tell us kids, it takes a made-up mind to serve God. Some of you don't know whether you want to backslide today or wait till tomorrow. You're praying about which day. You've got to make up your mind. 
You got to be determined. And when I think of that, I think of uh, a, a little guy that was five feet, five inches tall, weighed 235 pounds, and nobody liked him, including the king. The parliament didn't like him. But there was only one man in Europe that was not afraid of Hitler. He was a little bulldog named Winston Churchill. He said, I am determined that I will withstand this tyrant, this evil man. The whole Western civilization rises or falls on whether somebody will stand up to a man that's invaded Poland, invaded France, is keep take, invading Russia. He is taking over Europe. I will fight. I was born to this destiny. He was asked by his alma mater, to come back and give a speech. And the principal of the school gave these uh, wonderful accolades of all that he was and called him the greatest orator of that century. And he went to Harrell as his alma mater to give a speech. And after getting through the very flowery introduction and uh, all the comments, he got up to speak, the great orator of England the bulldog that would stand up and fight against Hitler. And when he stood up, he said this, young men never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never. And he sat down, and that was his speech. a determined mind to do the right and to fight for what's right. And here Paul is describing the Christian life as an athlete who's determined, I'm going to run as to win. I'm not going to be lazy, indifferent. Uh, I read an article on some of the diseases of the mind that make people fail in the race of life. Uh, there's just five of them. Listen to this. Indifference, the mild approach to life. Don't get in a hurry. Nothing's urgent. Let's just, uh, let's just order a latte and take it easy. Indifference, indecision, can never make a decision, can never decide when are you going to do it. Indecision. You've been getting ready to get ready so long that you no longer get ready to get ready. You just keep saying, I want to, but I've never decided to do it. Indecision. Doubt. Our worst problem is self-doubt. I don't know if I can, if I will. I doubt, I doubt. Worry, the, the real killer. Uh, when do you invest? When do you, get, when do you get in the stock market? Fear or greed runs the market. So which one am I? Do I ever get in? Don't do it now. Uh, over caution. Some people are so conservative and so cautious, they never get started. 
I used to have um, a man tell me that, uh, and he was referring to Steve Fernandez, and I said, you guys make me nervous. And we said, why? He said, you, uh, you're risk takers. And we said, yes, we are. Isn't the life of faith a certain amount of risk? Abraham, go to a land without a map, without a GPS. Just go where I tell you, and that's all you need to know. Go. And he did it. What about a Moses? Gave up all that you can possess. Gave up position. Gave up possessions. Gave up all of this that he might suffer with the children of God for a little season and have no permanent place to abode. He said, I would rather have that than the riches of Egypt. I used to tell Tim, I'll be so glad when PG&E no longer tells you what to do and we can get you at Valley and there's some other men in this church. I'll be glad when a company no longer owns you. We desperately need you and we need you sisters and too many times the secular market wants to consume you and you may have to take a risk to ever serve God. It might be less money. It might be a different position but when in the world will the cause be great enough for some Somebody to be determined to die for it. It's easy to critique the music and the temperature and the preaching. When are you going to contribute? I had a man tell me one time, I'm leaving, your preaching no longer feeds me, it no longer blesses me. I'd only been his pastor at that time 17 years. And I said, hey, there's no question, you probably need a change. I don't even hear myself preach. I, I've never bought one of my sermons. But I said, I've pastored you for 17 years. When in the world are you going to do something? Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. What's God doing through you? Saved you off the streets. Saved you out of a drug culture. Saved you, saved you, saved you. When? When are you determined to run this race and give back everything you've got to win the prize for Christ? Is it worth it? If it's not worth it, bail out. Find yourself another God and go to hell. This is the only God and the only cause that will outlast all the gods of this world. This God will outlast them all. He goes on to say, I'm not only determined, but he said, I'm disciplining myself. I'm bringing my body under control like an athlete, and I'm disciplining myself to win this prize and to compete in the Greek Olympics or the Isthmian Games that they're talking about at Corinth. They would have to be set aside for 10 months. They would be under mentors, tell them what to do in their particular field, boxing, racing, uh, different uh, sports. And you had to, if you were to win, they would examine the instructors you had in those 10 months. You were to stay away from certain diets. Uh, you were to be away from certain foods. You were not to be uh, with women. You were to be set aside for that one event.
for 10 months. And then you can run. Then you can compete. And I think of discipline. Paul said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Physical exercise profits a little. And God knows most of us are under-exercised. Someone said most Christians in the church are like a bad photograph. Overexposed and underdeveloped. They've heard a thousand sermons and they've not changed yet. They're looking for a better preacher. You don't need a better preacher. You got the best God you could ever have. You need a great God, and you've got that in Christ. You've got that in Christ. God delivers from man-made religion. I won out. No preacher saved me, and no preacher saved you. Christ alone saved. We're running this race for him, are we not? So he says, I discipline myself. Then the third attitude he talks about is, I have this attitude, I'm a man with a sense of direction, or we would say purpose. I'm not, uh, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not going around sparring. Uh, I'm not wasting effort. I have a real target in view. I, I'm, I'm not just hitting the air. I'm living on purpose. I think of young people. I think of you. What is your purpose? What are you living for? I mean, when I graduated in the 60s from Richmond High, one of our purposes, we hoped we wouldn't go to Vietnam, and thank God I didn't have to, but many buddies did. My cousins went. We didn't want to come back in a body bag after being lied to about the war, many being killed. Uh, civil rights going on with King down in Mississippi, 50s and 60s. Peace Corps, this, that. I can't hardly think of any great cause going on today. What, what great cause is that? What's to capture young? All I hear is make money. Make money. That, uh, how much will they pay you? Okay. You got a good job. Good. Are you fulfilled? Uh, no, no. Uh, are, are you helping anybody? Um, I, I'm not in it to help. I'm, I, I just want to make money. Nothing any more empty in life than money without purpose. With money without the will of God for a believer. He says here, I'm not living my life without direction. One of the great things God did for me, knowing that he's dealing with an inferior product, is he saved me young, and he gave me purpose. By the time I was 15, I'm taking classes at Richmond High that I think I ought to take for as a preacher. I took all the history I could take. I was one of two boys that took typing classes. That proved to be a great blessing. I mean, to go and learn to type, no boy took typing. But guess what? Computers came out with keyboards. And instead of me doing this stuff, 
I was taught to type. Plus, there's 30 girls in there you could look at while you're learning. Hey, you know, it, it was a great blessing. Uh, purpose. Purpose. Living with purpose. Don't be aimless. Live with a sense of direction. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. He should direct your path. The fourth thing he tells him to be sure of is this attitude of be aware of the dangers, the dangers of being disqualified in the race. Look at verse uh, 27. He said, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. This has been a troublesome verse. Uh, the old King James put, lest I should be a castaway. It's used one other time in Romans and there it's translated they were given reprobate minds. Some translate the word reprobate, adagamazo. They translate it to be rejected. So reprobate, to be rejected, to not pass the test. Uh, what is he talking about? I'm afraid that after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. What in the world is he talking about? Um, let me give you three views that I've run into on this verse. Um, Grudem takes it to be loss of reward, and it seems to fit the athletic analogy uh, and even as he goes on to the children of Israel that died in the wilderness not even Moses made it to the promised land but he did make it to the mount of transfiguration so he lost on one level from one sin and I would have lost to hear God's people gripe for 40 years and not sin, that's almost impossible. And he hit the rock, and God said, you didn't honor me in front of the people. I cancel you going to the promised land. But he did show up on the Mount of Transfiguration. So maybe it's a loss of reward, not a loss of salvation. MacArthur takes it to be disqualified from ministry. And he takes it in light of 1 Timothy 3, that a bishop must be this, must be a one-woman kind of man, must not be pugnacious, should be blameless, his house needs to be under control. And he goes through those 20 qualifications. And so MacArthur takes it as maybe ministerial disqualifier. 
disqualifier. Think of you. Is there anything going on in your life, any seductive voice, any tempting thing, that if you should follow and take the bait, it would disqualify you from being a deacon, an elder, uh, a Sunday school teacher. Just eliminate you, uh, not your salvation, but you'd be eliminated in the kind of service you could render. Is that possible? Um, I, I think Paul is speaking as an athlete. I might not win the race and get a prize, so I'm going to lose something here. I don't think he's talking salvation. I think he's talking reward. Uh, but I think it's painful when he says, I don't want to become a castaway. I don't want to be rejected. Uh, I know men, I know them personally, who have lost their ministry because they couldn't say no to sin. I, I just, they, they couldn't say no to it. And I, I was just reading recently and talking about the dynamic of temptation. Three things happened in the garden. When Adam and Eve were there, the three things had happened. Here we got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've got a voice that's never been there before, the voice of the serpent, the devil. And three things happened. The couple, especially Adam, was passive. He was just kind of, because God already told him not to eat of this tree. He wasn't in the dark, but he was passive in the dialogue. Two, he entered into idolatry because God had said, don't eat of this tree. If you eat of it, you shall die. What man did is, says, I want to be God in this situation. I will determine what is right and wrong for me and the consequences are not true. God is lying to us about consequences. You can do it and get away with it. And then, this is, goes into the sin package. And if God gets me, I'll blame my wife. Three things. Passivity, idolatry, I become God in the temptation. I determine what's right for me. I determine what consequences there are. I usually deny divine consequences. God said, don't do and go against my word. It will kill you. And I tell God, no, it won't. The pleasure is worth the risk. I will do it because I won't die. So you just made a rule greater than God's rule. So you played God. And then I'll blame somebody if it goes wrong. That's the dynamic of temptation. And here, he's going here talking about the dangers that laid God's people low. Here they were, immersed into Moses, went under the cloud, 
walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. The rock that led them was Christ. Could you imagine saying our leader was Christ and we blew it? Christ was the rock. Christ provided the manna. Christ provided the water, showed us the way through the wilderness, and we still didn't arrive. How is this possible? Verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Read the Old Testament for warnings and examples. Don't fail to read your Old Testament. It's part of Scripture. You can skip the first 10 chapters of uh, Numbers, and you can skip some of that blood and gore in Leviticus, but as a whole, read it. Don't start there. Start with the New Testament, but read it. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, surely, surely you can't be on a freedom march and get involved in idolatry. We're too busy moving. Oh, no, that's Aaron. Give me your bracelets. Give me your gold. And we'll throw it in the pot and see what comes out. Oh, no. No, they had a design. They made the golden calf. They threw a party that got wild, and Moses comes down from the mount. What's this noise I hear? The children of Israel are into idolatry and throwing a, a wild bust. Can this happen? Just being delivered from the Red Sea, just getting out of the hands of Pharaoh. Surely you wouldn't make a god to the god of Egypt, a calf. They did, and God killed thousands of them. Don't you do it. And these believers were going up to the temple because at the temple was the brothel, a thousand sacred prostitutes. Up at the temple was idolatry and demon worship, and he's telling them, you might be in Christ, but stay out of the temple. You might be in Christ, but stay away from porn. Stay away from that old hangout place. Get away from the wicked places you used to go when you were a Gentile pagan. Cut it out. You're following Christ out of the wilderness. Don't follow him and blame him for your sin. They did it. Don't you do it. As you tell them in verse 12, don't you take the attitude that could never be me. Don't, don't, don't say that, please. Even when you hear the fallen, don't ever take, well, I'd never do that. Oh, please don't say that. You don't know what you're liable to do under the right circumstances. We're all temptable, weak people. Apart from the keeping hand of God, we don't have a chance. Are you there? Are you? I can, if we fill all these pews again, maybe I can hear some roar out there. 
Um, then it goes on. We must not put Christ to the test. Ten times God said, you tempted me in the wilderness. Ten times. Saying, you can't do it. You won't feed us. You won't give us water. And uh, one time they were griping about the bread. So he unleashed all the serpents. Said, if you want a different kind of meat, there's some. Eat. You can eat snakes too, you know. Killed a bunch of them. And that was the story Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. You know about the serpent being held up on a bronze pole. So he said, they were killed by snakes. Uh, don't grumble. Uh, you know grumble? I looked up the word grumble. The word grumble, it, it's translated back. Grumble to murmur. And, and it meant, the word meant to complain under your breath. It's kind of mutter. Sometimes you'll see an addiction to mutter under one's breath. Always negative messages. But, and often under the guise of a prayer request. Let's pray about brother so-and-so. He's got a bad wife, ugly kids, and he can't preach like that. And let's pray that he'll get over. And let's remember that his kids are just brats. And let's uh, remember also we don't like him anyway. And, and uh, 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 that's grumbling. It's not, not this, not loud protest. It's just always underneath the surface. I don't want to gossip, but you know. <laughs> the Lord's laid this on my heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, laid it on Eve's heart, too. Uh, let's see. They were destroyed. Now, these things happened to them as an example. But they were written for, well, you don't need to write this to a grace believer. I got the Holy Ghost. Don't waste your words on me, God. I'm above all this. No, you're not. They were written down for our admonition. And admonition is to warn the mind, warn, address the mind. Therefore, let everyone who thinks this could never happen to them take heed lest they fall. Mm -mm. Do you ever uh, hear somebody falling into sin and say, Ooh, how could they have done that? Well, yeah, that's part of that. But I remember Warren Wearsby said years ago, talking about fallen Christians, especially fallen leaders. He said, don't say it happened to them. He said, it happened to us. We're in the same family. If it happened to a true believer, it happened to us. So if one mourns, we all mourn. If one weeps, we all weep. Instead of saying, well, I knew they were that way anyway. No, you didn't. Unless you're one of those grumblers. Did you ever pray for them? You know, anybody here praying for Biden? I'm praying for the uh, interest rate to come down. I know that. 
It's interesting how our theology changes with the personalities around us. Think of Daniel praying for Nebuchadnezzar. I think he did. God finally saved him. Could God save our governor? I don't know if any governor needs Christ any more than the one we got. When you're inviting people to come here to get an abortion, you're an affront to the human race. You're not even humanitarian to tell a girl, we'll help you kill your baby in this state. He's wrong. He's anti-human. And I don't pray for him very much. He's saying here, take heed, take heed. He finally says, we need to take the attitude of divine dependence. It's number five. You must have the attitude of being determined, the attitude of being disciplined, attitude of direction in your life. Take the attitude that I must be aware of the dangers that want to bring me down. And finally, I need the attitude of living dependent on God's promise. Only God and his promise can get me through. And what does he say? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Isn't that nice? You won't ever have a temptation that probably a million other people haven't already had. But when you're in it, you think you're the only one that's ever been tempted this way. But he's saying, no, it'll be a common test, common temptation. And then he goes on to say, uh, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. What's he saying? He weighs, as it were, every temptation. And if you're a five-pound Christian, let's say you carry five pounds, and the temptation's 10 pounds, he, he rakes off five pounds. I'll never let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist it. Is that amazing? Wait, what, what does yours say? No temptation has overtaken you, but that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Does this mean that your temptations get greater the longer you're saved? Huh? Talk back to me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You ought to be able to bear more. I hope I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. And this part I don't like. I want the escape. I don't like the rest. That you may be able to say, Lord, take it away. I don't want to endure it. Did you know some temptations don't fly away? They just stay. And you actually know their name. Your boss doesn't necessarily resign. 
The economy doesn't necessarily change. Your circumstances don't necessarily change. I'll give you the strength to either see my way of escape. Oh, that's what I'm looking for. But sometimes he doesn't give you a way of escape. He says, I'm going to give you the strength, Paul, to bear up with your thorn, but I'm not going to take your thorn away. I think of my daughter. She's had 13 surgeries, and she's been down now 12 weeks with her back, faces another surgeon in December to find out if they can correct her back without surgery. But have anybody, has anybody here ever had back surgery? Let me tell you, when you have 13 surgeries, you don't want any more back surgery. So we're praying, God, why don't you let, why don't you show her an escape? So far, it's been only grace to endure. Oh, we want an escape. We want an escape. I want to read to you a famous quote. It's become famous. Swindoll wrote it. And it says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. Let me ask you, were you thankful at Thanksgiving? Are you thankful now? Would grumbling or gratitude characterize your overall attitude? Grumbling, gratitude. Let me ask you, don't anyone do anything. Stay still like you are. You're stoical. Stay there. Just imagine you're watching Frozen. Uh, how many happy Christians are there in this place? One, two, three. You take your leg down. Oh, no. Okay. Anybody happy? See, they're kind of scattered. Carol and I talk about, we grew up with happy Christians. We knew, we knew one hundredth of the Bible that we know now. We, our knowledge was that far different. But we were just as happy. We were happy over the 10% we knew, and then we just kept learning and learning. And around some groups, they were suspicious of us because we were happy. 
And I said, we sure didn't get it by being with you because you seem to be miserable. Are you a happy Christian? You, you, you might have, the guy was down in Houston. Bob Thiem told the story, and he was working in front of a rescue mission, and come on in here, come on in here. And these two sailors said, hey, do you represent what we'll get if we go in? Yeah. They said, man, we want to have fun. We're not going in there. I wonder, I wonder how many of you could be an usher and we would only advertise happy Christians are the ushers. Would you be a candidate to serve? Or does your face look like the introduction to the book of Lamentations? I mean, if you're happy, notify your face. We used to say that all the time. A merry heart makes a pleasant countenance. We've got to write. I don't care who's in power. Jesus is coming. The Bible is true. The Holy Spirit produces joy, love, and peace. We ought to act hilarious that we know this God. Let's stand to our feet. So I will beat the clock by one minute. Let us stand. I must keep my word. Come, you're even slow getting on. Get up. Stand up. Now, I want you to shake hands with somebody, and by faith, even if it's fake, I want you to smile and see if you can do it. Go. Say, we're glad you're here. Go. Smile when you do it. And you're dismissed. And you're dismissed.